0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. It is Friday, October 9th, 8th. Golly, what day is it? It just all runs together. Thank you for being here, uh, viewers. We already have eight people watching. They were geared up and ready for this. It's very exciting. Uh, And listeners, folks who are listening at home on the audio podcast, thank you as every week for downloading our podcast and staying attuned to the affairs of our state. Uh, So welcome, Bailey and Scott. Thanks for being here as always.
1: Of course. Hello, Andy.
0: Hey, everybody.
2: hello everybody wouldn't miss it
0: wouldn't yeah that's right we this is the one thing that we uh we have scheduled every week that we make a point to schedule our vacations around usually or call in from somewhere else right Uh, well
1: we also need to note that it's andy's turn to wear the t-shirt so a couple weeks ago i wore it last week scott wore it so now it's andy's turn
0: that's right (laughs) it's not the same t-shirt we each have our own um And we're not we're not we've been
2: been passing it around. We've been we've been masking up and uh, passing it around. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Sisterhood of the
0: traveling T-shirt is what this
2: is. So it's another day of record breaking
0: covid cases in Oklahoma. One thousand five hundred and twenty four new cases announced today, uh, which is a shame. You know, earlier this week, Monday, Tuesday, numbers are real low. And Scott, I texted you and I said this is going to come back, like later in the week. That surely the numbers are going to be higher. And then, boom! Today, there it is, uh, second highest day ever. The only exception was July 21st, which was the day where they reported thousands of backlog cases. So, um, not a good trend, right? Our, our moving average goes up. That's not a good trend. I have I have a family member that's still in the hospital. Um, you know, we it's at the point now where well, we all know the governor had it, so everyone knows someone, but I think at this point, one out of every sixteen hundred, maybe less now, Oklahomans have had it. Um, and I think most of us know
2: at least one, if not more, people that have been hospitalized and perhaps even died. So yeah, I mean it's re- it's you know, it's really bad. I wanted to spend just a minute before we get into the meat of things today, just um a minute on this to just remember like it is so easy to get complacent because it's been around for so long and so much around us is seeming to turn return to normal, right? Like the, you know, college football is on, on Saturday, like kids are doing school in some form or fashion they're talking about sending them all the way back to school, at least in Oklahoma city. Like there's more and more that seems it's like, if you didn't look at the numbers, right? Like if you didn't, if you didn't know that it was happening without seeing the case counts, you'd be thinking, oh, well, it must mean that things are like getting better because they keep kind of turning up the dial in terms of what they're doing normally. And in fact, it's actually the opposite, right? Like it's still here and it's actively getting worse. We have more people in the hospital than we've had hospitalized at any point in the pandemic. Our ICUs are being stretched pretty thin. I think Dr. Monks, who's currently the head of the Oklahoma State Medical Association, um, had a thread on Twitter yesterday that it before that he's really, really concerned about hospital capacity, particularly ICU capacity. I mean, it's like, it's not good y'all. So if you're starting
1: and social distance.
2: Yeah. Like if you're, if you're starting to feel that like, man, maybe I can kind of back off. Maybe it's not as bad. No opposite. Right. It is more important now than ever to be stringent about your hygiene, to be stringent about your masking and be really, really selective in terms of what you do. If you need to get together with people, do it outside, do it in small groups um, and even then try to maintain your distance. Yeah, it it all sucks. It just sucks. Um,
0: so, well, man, at the end of the year, I guess we'll have a big wrap-up episode about COVID just as a, a check-in for where we've at. Um, we are at. We will be over 100,000 cases in the next few days, I think. So um, that's a big milestone for our state as well. And again, not in a good way. Um, however, we are, we'll talk about this in a future episode, but apparently we're going to build a pandemic center for people, uh, innovation and entrepreneur. And
1: uh, there's about six and, letters in that. Yeah, yeah, it's about six letters.
0: Did it spell? It didn't always spell like a word. Or, and sometimes you get those acronyms, like where they they have an acronym they're trying to spell. But I mm-hmm. think
1: yeah, um, I don't think this one is trying to spell something.
0: No, no. New so. public health lab and all that. And we'll we'll get into that. We're trying to get all these election centric <laughs> issues out of the way before the election. Right. And it is going on now. It is not <laughs> my ballot. I still have my ballot sitting here. I haven't mailed it in. I got
2: to get a copy of my ID or a notary. Um, I I assume if you listen to this podcast that you are registered to vote. However, it is now 3.07 on Friday. If you are not registered to vote, we are recording. Stop. Come back to this later. Go to your nearest tag agency or your county election board and for the love, register to vote. Okay. (laughs) I, re- I, I helped someone register to vote this morning um like which is, is. Mm-hmm. was it a it's I, that's just nuts I mean I've
0: we see it on every social media platform we see it on Yelp we see it everywhere on the news and everything um, and I
1: even saw it on the glass door at Walmart on mm-hmm. the frozen food section so yeah. I mean everybody's talking about getting registered to vote.
2: I mean, well, and honestly, even if you're, even if you're registered, like take a minute right now, like pause or whatever and verify because the person I helped register today, she thought she was registered. She found out yesterday she went to find her voter ID card because she was going to double check her precinct or something and couldn't find her voter ID card. Then she got on the o- online voter pool and found out that she's not registered. And so it had either expired or maybe she'd been purged. I don't know. But like hmm. we, we put in all her stuff and she wasn't there. So double check your registration. And if you're not registered. Do it in the next one hour and 52 minutes. Yeah.
1: Elections.ok.gov. Okay. There
0: we go. I want to just quickly note two other things that we will talk about in a future episode. Um, one is that this week, Secretary of State Michael Rogers stepped down as Secretary of State, and his one of his other roles is um, the Native American affairs person for the governor. He will remain in his new role as special advisor to the governor. Uh, But this, I think it was largely expected. It kind of almost happened a while back and now it's official. We'll dig into that later. Uh, Also, as one of our listeners noted, um, I think that the EPA, was this the one that someone noted, Bailey, Mm -hmm. about the the EPA sided with the state at the governor's request to give the state jurisdiction over regulatory control for environmental issues for the tribes, which is a, a huge deal um and, and I think that'll that's a full episode or at least a half of one right <laughs> a future week um, to get into it but today we want the focus of this episode to be on the other state questions on the ballot last week we um we did state question 814 um, today we're doing 805 uh, and so up first uh, we have two folks from the Oklahomans for criminal justice reform uh, we have Former Speaker of the House Chris Steele, who is the director of uh, Oklahoma's for Criminal Justice Reform. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for being here. Uh, and we also have uh, Jacqueline Blocker, who is the engagement director for Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform.
3: Hello. Okay.
0: Thank you both for being here, uh, Chris. I'm going to kick it to you to get started. Tell us, um, you've been with OK for, for CJR for a, a
4: while tell us a little bit of the organization and how this state question came to be. Sure, thank you so much for the opportunity to participate in the podcast today. We are delighted to be here. Uh, Andy, Bailey, big fans, you guys are the the greatest and and we're just delighted to get to be with you. Uh, Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform is a 501c3 advocacy organization that focuses on policy analysis, policy development, uh, voter awareness and engagement our hope and intention is to promote policies that safely reduce our state's prison population, uh, strengthens families, make better use of our state's resources, and ultimately invest in alternatives to incarceration. And so I'll just start by, by stating the obvious. And unfortunately, uh, Oklahoma has an incarceration crisis, Uh, Our prisons are overcrowded. They have been for many, many years. Uh, Unfortunately, we lead the world in female incarceration rates per capita. Uh, According to the U.S. Sentencing Commission in both 2014 and again last year, uh, it appears that Oklahoma, unfortunately, also leads the country in the number of African Americans that we incarcerate per capita as well. These statistics are simply unacceptable. Uh, immoral and, quite frankly, um, unsustainable. And so what we have done is we've taken a very methodical approach to try to identify logical steps that would ultimately bring Oklahoma's prison population more in line with uh, the national average and what would be considered best practices. And Andy, I'm just gonna use that statement to segue into the fact that that is the premise for State Question 805. State Question 805 seeks to end the practice of adding years to a person's prison sentence for a nonviolent offense, simply because they have a nonviolent conviction somewhere in their background. I would wanna note that State Question 805 is not a free pass. People who are convicted of nonviolent crimes could still be sentenced to prison. In fact, they still could be sentenced up to the maximum range of punishment for that offense, but they would not uh, have disproportionate years or decades added onto their sentence beyond that statutory maximum range of punishment. I also would want to note that State Question 805 does not apply to anyone who is convicted of a violent crime or a sex crime. Uh, According to the analysis conducted by the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs, if state question or when state question 805 passes on November 3rd, it literally would save the taxpayers of Oklahoma nearly $200 million when fully implemented. And again, I would say this gives us an opportunity to begin the process of safely reducing our prison population use of our state's uh, tax uh, uh, resources by investing in, in issues that address the, the core issue behind the behavior. We could invest in treatment, mental health care, uh, uh, trauma care, uh, job training, education, health care, infrastructure, things that truly would improve the quality of life. And this is good for our state. It's good for everyone that's a, that, that is a part of Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, I appreciate that overview about uh, what the state question would do and the cost savings that it would have to the state. Some of the um, opponents of this state question are raising concerns about potential loopholes and um, reducing tools that law enforcement and um, others on the, I guess, prosecuting side to have fewer tools. In um, being able to have those sentence enhancements to stop like domestic violence and other issues. Can you speak to um, that concern?
4: I can. I, I, if it's okay, I may take the first part of this question and then kick it to my colleague, Jacqueline, to also respond. Bailey, I thank you for raising the question. The reality is this all of the safeguards remain in place to hold a person accountable who commits an offense against another person. Those all remain in place under State Question 805. Uh, The reality is under State Question 805, anyone who is convicted of domestic violence would still face a prison sentence of 10 years. In addition to that, they would face two separate reviews by the Pardon and Pro Board and a third independent review by the governor of the state of Oklahoma before they would even be eligible to be considered for release from prison. Those safeguards remain in place. There's nothing in State Question 805 that prevents a misdemeanor from being enhanced to a felony conviction. And so all of those safeguards remain in place. A person convicted of DUI would still face up to 10 years in prison, and so on and so forth. And I would just also say that there's a reason that Oklahoma leads uh, the nation in incarceration rates. It's certainly not because the people who live in our state are worse than the people who live in Arkansas or Kansas or New Mexico or certainly Texas. But, <laughs> but I, would, I would just say that the, the reality is this. So often the decisions pertaining to criminal justice policy or appropriations are based in fear. And emotion and hyperbole. The reality is this, State Question 805 gives us an opportunity to move forward with some evidence-based policies that truly safely reduce our prison population while protecting all the safeguards to hold people accountable who commit offenses against another person. Jacqueline?
3: Um, Thank you and I want to thank you all again for having us. Um, Yeah Chris pretty much summed it up. And um, I just wanna speak from uh, the perspective of, uh, I am actually a survivor of domestic violence myself. And um, so the reason why on a personal level that I support State Question 805 is because the savings that could be realized from this modest common sense reform are resources that can be invested in victim services. Um, I know firsthand the time and the resources that it takes to have a plan, to have an escape plan. And so for me, State Question 805 will move the needle and move more people from victim to survivor because there'll be more resources available for those advocates that help individuals and they can have that to help more people. And right now during COVID, we know there's an uptick in that. So we need more resources available for people of that nature. So state question 805 is the next common sense step. And furthermore, what we're doing right now isn't working. Um, I just found out that Oklahoma is like third, I think in the nation for women that are harmed or murdered by, an intimate spouse. And and so what we're doing isn't working. State question 805 is a step, is a next right step for Oklahoma so that we can invest in getting to the root causes of these issues and help people instead of tacking on years and throwing bad money after bad money.
2: So <clears throat> one of the, one of the things that I also feel like we hear as a, as a criticism of this is, you know, certainly there are folks who, who are critical of the policy itself. Um, but there's also a lot of criticism of the mechanism. I shouldn't say a lot. The people who oppose it, one of the things they criticize is that this is a constitutional change that's being done by a vote of the people and, and really should be a job that's better left to the legislature. So why, why is this something that we should put in the constitution where it's kind of, Pretty immutable after it's done, rather than letting this be a job for the legislature that can be kind of tweaked and twerked and whatever whatever else legislators do to laws if they feel like they're not they're not working that, that well.
4: That is such a good question, and Jacqueline, if it's okay, I may I may take the first shot at this. Um, the reality is this: we are seeking um, a constitutional amendment, and in fact, our very constitution allows for this ballot initiative process so that when the legislature fails to take action on any given issue, there is a recourse for the people, the voters of our state to weigh in directly. That opportunity is given through the ballot initiative process. And so the reality is the, the, the policy developed in State Question 805 was originally introduced in the legislature in 2017 Again in 2018 and again in 2019, the legislature failed to take action. In fact, the legislature continues to add links and the and and crimes to the list of of who is eligible to be incarcerated. And I just want to give a super quick history on how enhancements for nonviolent offenses came into being in the state of Oklahoma. They actually came into being in Oklahoma in 1999, following Two horrific incidences, one that happened in California and one that happened in Massachusetts. Neither event happened here in Oklahoma, but they were pretty horrific situations in which a murder was involved. And the way that California and Massachusetts chose to respond to that situation is through the three strikes and you're out policy. They only applied the three strikes and you're out rule to people who uh, committed Violent offenses. Shortly after that, most states adopted a variation of the three strikes and you're out rule and applied it only to violent offenses. But in 1999, Oklahoma said, Hey, let's apply this three strikes and you're out rule to every offense that's on the book. And so, literally, we applied sentence enhancements to every offense, violent, nonviolent, and otherwise. So, the reality is this the person who steals a lawnmower for the second time literally faces the same length of punishment up to life in prison for the person who commits murder. Tell me how that is just. And so the reality is State Question 805 simply brings our policy in line with other states in applying sentence enhancements only to violent offenses. You have to consider yourself, to Jacqueline's point, you have to ask yourself, Do any of us feel safer today than we did 21 years ago when sentence enhancements were introduced in Oklahoma? The answer is no, because what we're doing right now is simply not working. The reality is a constitutional amendment, much like why Frank Keating chose to make right to work a constitutional amendment, is because it's the only true way to uphold the will of the people. So, if the will of the people, if the if the majority of voters say yes, we support common sense corrections reform. The only way to protect and uphold that vote is through a constitutional amendment. The other thing I would say is that it remains the responsibility of the legislature to determine what is a nonviolent and what is a violent crime. They can still make that determination, and it's also up to the legislature to determine the length of punishment for any offense those safeguards remain in place under state question 805
2: beautiful i mean that's uh that's perfect (laughs) that answers the question really well the only uh follow-up that i had was you know um so my we've haven't spoken before here on the show but my my background is i'm a i'm a primary care physician here in in oklahoma city and so um when you talk about things like best practices and evidence-based that really uh man that that, that, that gets my motor going. So where can people go to view, like when you talk about best practices for criminal justice and, you know, whether, whether there's evidence for, you know, sentence enhancement or any other kind of penal process, where can people go to like see that data and review the evidence to see what is effective and what's not as they're trying to make decisions about how we manage our criminal justice system?
4: Sure. So I would, uh, first and foremost, just direct people to the Yes on 805 website. And then in addition to that, if they want to do some um, deeper research and a deeper dive as to what kinds of policies are considered best practices in comparison of of what the research has has shown is effective in in states that, that not only have a lower prison population, which is virtually every other state, but also a lower crime rate, they can go to the OCJR website, the Oklahomans for Criminal Justice Reform website. We have a variety of studies uh, that are published on, that are uh, available on our website for review. And then the final thing that I would just say to that, um, I, I I am convinced that when there is a paradigm shift, and 805 gives us the opportunity to move in this direction but when there's a paradigm shift that allows us as a state collectively to base our decisions on research, on data and on facts, rather than basing our decisions on emotion and fear and anecdote, I really think that the decisions become a no brainer and 805 is based on research, data and facts.
1: No, thank you for that insight especially um, on where people can can go to get further information. Um, my final question is there's um, many organizations and or community leaders who um, are in support of the state question. Can you tell us um, who is reflected on the uh, supporting side?
4: Jacqueline, do you wanna start with that? I, I feel like I'm doing all the talking and. No, that's You're fine. I'll
3: start, and then you, <laughs> I'll start, and you can uh, fill it in because I'm sure we have so many. I'm sure I'm going to miss some, but um, we have women. There's women in recovery, um, ACLU Oklahoma, OCPA, uh, Still She Rises, uh, the Terrence Crutcher Foundation. Um, there is various law enforcement organizations that support this initiative. Um, I am blanking out on Chris, you can start filling in. I'll start looking at the list, but there are, we have um, the thing that I love about this is that it's such a diverse and bipartisan group of supporters for this initiative, the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma. Um, Chris, I wanna help me out on the other endorsers that we have that are supporting state question 805?
4: Yep, you're doing great, Jacqueline. So we also have a plethora, and Andy, that is literally the biggest word I know. But we have a plethora, a plethora of uh, faith leaders. We have healthcare professionals. We have business leaders, and most importantly, we have Oklahomans. We have voters. We have um, common everyday people who truly care about making um, the best and most effective use of our resources. We have people who support our coalition who believe in second chances and want to be a part of the restoration and reconciliation and redemption process. There are people who support our coalition who understand there is no such thing as a spare Oklahoman and that our communities are at their best and strongest when everyone is allowed to participate in the greater good. We have people who understand the value of, of addressing issues like addiction and mental illness and trauma so that fellow Oklahomans can truly reach their full potential in life. And as Jacqueline said, it is a statewide coalition of people committed to improving the quality of life in our state.
0: That was excellent. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, I know your time is precious. Um, And we want to have the opposition on because we try to be even handed. Um, Chris and Jacqueline, thank you so much for uh, for being here today. We will um, put the link to the website uh, out on our stuff for people to learn more. And um, I appreciate your time. All right. Well, we'll let them go. And before we bring on uh, Pat McFerrin, who's representing the uh, the opposition side, we recognize we forgot to read the ballot title um, in there. And so I'm going to read that real quick. This is the state question 805 ballot title, uh, which means this is the ballot language. I call it ballot title, but it's the language on the ballot. It says this measure seeks to add a new article 2 a, to the Oklahoma constitution. This new article accepts and does not apply to persons who have ever been convicted of a violent felony It would prohibit the use of a former felony conviction to increase the statutorily allowable base range of punishment for a person subsequently convicted of a felony. Individuals who are currently incarcerated for a felony sentences that were enhanced based on one or more former felony convictions and whose sentences are greater than the maximum sentence that may be currently imposed for such felonies may seek sentence modification in court. The new article sets forth a detailed process for such sentence modification including, but not limited to, requirements for a hearing appointment of counsel for indigent petitioners and notification of victims, and requires the court impose a modified sentence no greater than the current maximum sentence, which may be imposed on a person convicted of the same felony with no former felony convictions, and which results in no greater time served in prison than under the original sentence. It establishes an appeal procedure Provide provides an effective date and contains a severability clause. That was a lot of big words. I'm, I'm glad I made it through. And I apologize. My neighbor is literally on his roof with his leaf blower again. I think our listeners have heard about this before. I'll put it on my Instagram. He uses his leaf blower three days a week and he's on his roof and flip flops blowing the leaves off his roof. All right, uh, I'm going to mute myself, That's amazing. Um, but first, I'm going to bring on Pat McFerrin from CMA Strategies. Hello, Pat.
5: Welcome Hi, to the show. Hey. Oh, happy Thanks. to be on. Thank you,
0: guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, I think Scott's going to take the first uh, first question. I'm going to mute so that we don't have to listen to the leaf blower the whole time.
2: <laughs> hey, Pat, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, so we, we just had the, we just had the Chris Steele and the folks from the yes on 805 campaign on, and, um, we're now we're going to kind of hear the other side and I want to start and play devil's advocate for a minute. So talking about sentence enhancements and whether we should keep them or not. The first question I have is, is there evidence that sen- sentence enhancements actually do anything to reduce crime? Like what's, what's the reason to well, keep
5: Well, I think that the, the reality is, is that we have built a system in Oklahoma that recognizes Uh, that the best predictor of future action is is past actions. And so we have developed a sentence enhancement program so that we don't have excessively, you know, as excessively long uh, penalties for first-time offenders. This allows us to to lower that amount, treat first-time offenders in a way that they can be rehabilitated, yet still have this other option uh, for the bad actors that we have out there. So that it, instead of, uh, you know, um, I, I've heard many times from Chris, I don't know if he mentioned it here or not. They talk about the uh, the lawnmower issue. Uh, you know, we're able to keep that, uh, uh, that sentence for larceny down uh, at a lower level for a first time offender because we have the, the confidence that we can make it longer if we need to for the habitual offender. And that's one of the things I like to point out. State question 805 only deals with repeat or habitual offenders. It does nothing to address first time offenders and get them the rehabilitation and services that they need.
2: All right. Perfect. Yeah. Cause that's been, that's been, you know, when I, when I try to think about like what the, what the purpose of the, like the criminal justice system is, like to me, it's to try and, you know, Keep people from keep people from from committing crimes, and so one of the questions I had is like does does this policy does this policy work? And then go ahead, sorry.
5: No, I was going to say one of the examples I would use here to show you. Uh, you know, I don't know that I have have data on, on issues here. We we do know that we have a huge problem in this state with domestic violence. Um, I, I know there was the, the the release last week. We're like third in the nation. I don't think that's an indictment on our public safety system. It's an indictment on our education and economy uh, is really what that is. And so we have to address those. But for example, domestic violence is one of the toughest crimes uh, to get victims to come forward on, to get them to, to uh, uh, agree to testify, to help uh, these situations. And, and just so you're aware, part of our domestic violence statutes, the reason they're not violent felonies is so that you can require people to get the treatment and help they need because we know that very often they're reunified with the the abusers and the victims afterwards but one of the ways that you get people to come forward is by saying look we can have this longer sentence Uh, you will not have to this person will will be in custody for a longer period of time to get the help that they need Uh, if we if eight uh, if 805 passes it'll be much more difficult to prosecute those domestic violence cases in the state all
2: right the the other the other question that i had and this is this is like i mean we could honestly we could have a whole like podcast or series of podcasts about this question so um but you know one of one of the things we're hearing a lot about both in oklahoma but certainly in in the national conversation right now is criminal justice reform there there's all this talk about you know defunding police all those sorts of things when we look at and and i don't have data on oklahoma but when you look at sentence enhancements for federal crimes one of the things that appears to be true is that they they are applied somewhat arbitrarily and somewhat disproportionately to persons of color, um, particularly folks that are black. And again, I don't know if that's the case in Oklahoma, but that's that seems to be the case looking at the federal data. And so when I see that, if that's the case in Oklahoma, I guess to me it seems like this would be a, this this state question would be a way that we could potentially try and make our criminal justice system, like more fair and like more just, without getting into like defunding police departments and and those sorts of things. Like it's a policy issue that would maybe take away something that is is you know not an not an intent of the system, but maybe seems to be an outcome. And again, that's speaking about the federal level and and not having the data on on the state system. But is that is am I wrong about thinking about it that way, or what's what's your yeah, thought
5: there? I actually, if you're thinking about. Uh, uh, a system uh, where we have uh, any disproportionate issues with how we treat people of color. Um, I I think that actually it's not on 805 and this category of felonies. It's on the 52 felonies that we've put in title 57 that are the violent ones. Those are the ones that tend to to harm, uh, uh, you know, disproportionately affect a person of color. And this state question actually freezes that in. I've actually spoken to quite a few people that are interested in this type of reform. And one of the reasons they oppose State Question 805 is because this locks in those violent felonies, which are ones that, that are disproportionately affecting uh, uh, people of color in Oklahoma. So I, I would actually tell you that I think this goes against it because it's going to lead to, uh, again, a freezing and an inability to fix those, those uh, title Section 571, Title 57 Uh, laws that we have. And just to be, I want to give you a little bit of background and your listeners and everything. Uh, I do work with the District Attorney's Association. They're a client of mine. Uh, I understand law and order issues, but I also work very closely with Chris Steele. In fact, I did the polling for State Questions 780 and 781. I have a personal belief that at that time, we were incarcerating too many people that had addiction issues. So we made those misdemeanors. We made low-level property crimes and low-level drug crimes misdemeanors. State Question 805 has nothing to do with simple possession or any any theft of less than $1,000. Um, and so these are, on the large part, very serious felonies. Do I think that there needs to be some other reforms? Yes, but this blanket reform uh, is, a, is a real concern of mine. Uh, I do think we need to, to go through and restructure. We should probably have four or five classes of felonies. That's kind of the, the best practices they have in other states uh, instead of us just having this kind of arbitrary definition of violence that quite frankly has very little to do with violence. Awesome, thanks, thanks for that.
1: Well, and Pat, Pat, you you mentioned um, the District Attorney's Association as one of your clients. Um, who are some of the other groups that um, are in opposition to State Question 805?
5: Well, I will tell you, it's, uh, we're, we're very pleased with how quickly this is growing. Uh, we've actually only been working on this for less than a month, putting our coalition together. We have the Oklahoma Farm Bureau, the Cattlemen's Association, FOPs, almost every sheriff, uh, all except for one district attorney. Uh, we have uh, uh, retailers, uh, we have uh, a lot of domestic violence uh, support groups. Uh, I shouldn't say they support domestic violence, they support domestic violence victims. Uh, the YWCA has now become opposed to it. Uh, narcotics agents, state troopers, uh, the law enforcement community is almost entirely unified here. In fact, I, I was uh, I was a little surprised to hear, uh, as I was backstage here on the podcast, that there were law enforcement organizations supporting 805. Because I have we found two individuals, but no organizations that I'm aware of. Uh, so if you get a chance to to ask Mr. Steele or or, or Jacqueline again, that might be something to clarify. Uh, but again, it's um, you know we're we're a grassroots organization. Uh, we don't have uh, you know a three million dollar budget on TV and uh, we're just uh, gradually growing but again the law enforcement, the victims and then uh, are really the key groups and a lot of rural groups as well uh, that uh, have joined us.
1: So Pat, thank you for um, outlining um, the the broad range of people who um, are on this side of the issue. Um, you've mentioned that, the state question doesn't accomplish um, what you believe it's intending to accomplish. Um, Can you go more into what the alternative should be um, to decarcerate or to have um, fewer folks with nonviolent effects? So I I know you mentioned um, the legislature going in and doing four categories versus well, the the,
5: reality is there, what are some of the alternatives? You can look and see, there was a, a commission started to uh, a sentencing reclassification commission that started, worked, had defense attorneys, had DAs chaired by Tricia Everest, uh, who's been an incredible, I think everybody in Greek, incredible community volunteer, uh, been, been very active with the diversion hub, with Palomar here in Oklahoma city uh, leading the uh, Oklahoma County jail trust now. uh uh, there's not a bigger champion of diversion programs in oklahoma or maybe america that trisha evers has been um, was working on on doing these Uh, she's actually the chairman of our uh, no campaign Uh, and uh, uh, i think doing those reclassifications is something we really need to look at i will also tell you that 780 again which i supported not everybody in my coalition here supported it uh, but i supported uh, has had an effect our our prison population is down 18 percent in the last two years. Uh, that's an incredible number. We're moving in the, the direction there, um, and uh, we. The reality is our problem is that we don't have enough people willing to go into diversion programs, and enough funding for the diversion programs that we need. Uh, 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 you know, for the drug courts, the veterans courts, the women in recovery, the remerge. Uh, those are all great programs. That we should be focused on improving those and again state question 805 does not do anything to, to help with that
0: sorry um hopefully my neighbor is far enough away for a few minutes but um pat you mentioned all the um uh, law enforcement organizations that support it um, but it sounded like it was really heavy on that side of it in some ways does that i mean that seems like a potential um, message of like, this is a law and order thing, but when it's only that side that supports it um, and you've got everyone else uh, on the other side or or maybe staying out of it. But when it's slanted that heavily, um, do you think that attracts some folks that are naysayers of like, oh, this is just well, a thing I, that cops and that DAs you know, want?
5: yes side knows that's not the case, or they want to be running a commercial with you know about $400,000 behind it with uh, a person from Lindsay claiming to be a a police officer Uh, and every one of their commercials has talked about law enforcement. Uh, They recognize that Oklahoma is a law and order state, but, you know, to take it a a step away, um, you know, our DAs are, are real people. Uh, They deal and have to see things every day. uh, So we don't have to. And uh, I will tell you, I, I have never met a group of people that is so concerned about trying to get people help that are willing to help themselves at least. Uh, they take no pride in anybody going to prison. They would much rather, and, and that's, why, that's why very few people go to prison, And to, in fact, the average first time person in DOC custody has already been convicted of three and a half felonies before they even get to prison. We try to find alternatives and, and other uh, suspended sentences, deferred sentences drug courts, the, the diversion programs um, on a regular basis. And we need to have better ones. We need to have a, a better ability to, to, to do that. But no, I, I don't think that law enforcement support is a negative at all. And as I said, I mean, we've got the Oklahoma Farm Bureau. We've got the Cattlemen's Association. I've got a few I can't, can't quite announce yet. Um, and then uh, a lot of domestic violence uh, uh, groups.
1: Pat, can you talk about why Farm Bureau or Grocers? are taking a position on the state question that doesn't, yeah. the, the intersections don't seem natural. No, i so, like,
5: just curious about what their position. I'd encourage anybody to Google the Garfield County Sheriff's page today. There is somebody randomly shooting cows in Garfield County. Um, it happens in, in a number of counties at different times. Uh, I know it happened, I think it was in Cherokee County uh, a couple of years ago and, and in Pottawatomie County. Uh, livestock crimes are some of the crimes that will no longer have an enhancement. Uh, if this passes. And uh, those are very serious crimes. They, they really affect the economy. Uh, you know, uh, we hear about this lawnmower. Well, Cub Cadet lawnmowers and tractors uh, are, are pretty significant uh, items that people are, you know, the, the one of the people featured in the 805 ad went to the tractor supply in Muscogee uh, and blacked up a trailer and loaded up a, a couple of thousand dollar uh, tractor. And, it you know, it's, it's his seventh conviction for doing something like that. Um, and uh, so, you know, retailers and others care about this. In fact, one of the, so you want to talk about some of the data, the average Oklahoman pays 500, I'm sorry, the average Oklahoma family, let me be correct there, pays $500 more in retail expenses a year to compensate for theft from stores in Oklahoma. We're one of the highest in the nation when it comes to comes to that, but that costs us all, um, because we have, have a real problem with crime. Um, as, I'm, as I'm thinking this, one thing I do want to address real quick that I know the opposition talks about, they like to talk about a 10-year prison sentence. A 10-year prison sentence does not mean 10 years. A 10-year sentence does not mean 10 years in prison. Um, for this class of felony, only 25% of that time is spent in prison, then you're eligible for parole, uh and uh in addition under current department of corrections uh rules uh, if you have a bed to go to and less than 9 months left to serve before you get to that 25% you're released on an ankle monitor so right now the penalty for domestic violence is 4 years so if someone gets a 4 year sentence uh 1 year is 25% uh within 9 months uh that's 3 months so you're looking at roughly 90 days served in jail if you get a maximum non-enhanced sentence for committing domestic violence in the presence of a child or on a pregnant woman or by strangulation. Um, I I don't think people understand how the the system works. Yes, you are still under that sentence, but you're on parole for 75% of that time. Now, the Title 57 ones, those are are why they call those the 85% ones, because you have to spend 85% of your time in prison for those.
2: You mentioned earlier that like it's the title fifty seven crimes, right? This would freeze those, and you said that you know, you, like you feel like those those are the ones that seem to have the most disproportionate impact on like persons of color. Can you talk about why this would freeze those and what like what you mean yeah. by that? Like that there wouldn't be any way for you know the legislature yeah, to the, the address that title, if it passes. Uh,
5: that you read that you read earlier, Andy, very well, and uh, you got through it uh, better than I would at this point in time. Um, is only a summation of what the actual question is. You can go to Ballotpedia, you can go to the Secretary of State's office, uh, but I believe it's in section one point C uh, of the actual enacting legis- legislation that will be enacted if this passes. Uh, it defines what a violent felony is and it defines a violent felony as title 57 section 571 crimes as of January 1st, 2020. So it can never be added to for this purpose of enhancements. Now you can actually add crimes to that, but they will not be able to be enhanced. Um, and so, uh, and actually, all Title fifty seven does it's actually not even eighty five percent part. What it does is it does require gubernatorial approval for pardon and paroles and for the paroles process. Um, but it, uh, it it this state question is constitutional, and it freezes that list forever.
2: So you can't add or subtract from it.
5: Um not for the purpose of the the, you can you can change that title 57 but the enhancements cannot be applied anywhere correct
2: sure sure but would that like because i guess what i'm trying to what i'm trying to and this is just me like kind of trying to work this out like in real time in my own head because um i do a lot of things but i'm I'm not a lawyer Uh, um you know how would that like if those if those are if those are the crimes that are that are classified as violent, those are crimes that would still you would still be allowed to use sentence enhancements yeah. on those. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, and so that's why, and that would be the, that would be the case, like for all time, unless there was another constitutional question, and so then you wouldn't be able to address those by making them nonviolent or taking away sentence or doing whatever you need to do to make sure that when those crimes are adjudicated, they're adjudicated in a way that hopefully. Um, is not misproportionately applied to people of color. Am I did I say that correctly?
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yes, this while well, well, this does away with enhancements on the roughly 600 felonies, it will permanently basically put enhancements in place on those others. Now the reality is those those other ones have such high, thresholds uh, and and sentences and you have to serve generally 85% of the crime, uh, 85% of the time. I'm not certain how often enhancements are used there. Sure.
1: So even with that, there's still leeway for judges and court systems to sentence someone to a maximum amount. So this doesn't change what people are being sentenced. This just says you can't add enhancements. Is that correct?
5: Well, but the enhancements are part of the sentence. I mean, that's, it it treats every when It comes to the sentencing stage. It treats everybody like a first time offender. Your range of punishment will be the same, regardless if it's the first or the 36th time you've committed a crime.
2: But to go back to the lawnmower, like the, the, what the, to go back to the lawnmower, they could change it. Like the legislature could say, Okay, well, instead of you know the sentence for stealing a lawnmower first time or fifth time being six months or whatever it is if you steal a lawnmower, the legislature could say if you steal a lawnmower, you're gonna go to prison for 10 years. There's no enhancement. That's just that's what the sentence is, right? Like the legislature can still I adjust it, the sentence.
5: And that's one of the real concerns I have with my my uh, justice reform. I think it's one of the unintended consequences. Uh, I think if we go and let people out of prison here, especially retroactively, which is what this does that we will, you know, have a concern and have a backlash. I mean, these are pendulum swings. So I could actually see that over time, you'll see legislators elected on a tough on crime. If this passes, you'll see legislators elected on a tough on crime. Uh, and you might, you will probably see those first time offenders spend more time in prison in the future than they will, you know, now if eight Oh five passes, I think it's one of the real unintended consequences. Um, you might remember, the reason we got enhancements in 1990, in the late 1990s, was actually because of an early release that happened here in Oklahoma, a guy named Lamont Fields, who was released early. Uh, and uh, then immediately within five days went and killed uh, two people, including uh, and, and then almost killed a two and a half year old as well. Uh, and, and so that's what led to this in Oklahoma having these enhancements and doing away with early release. Uh, and so, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. And the reality is 805 goes too far. Um, Forgive me if I've spoken to other people, so if if I've already mentioned this, uh, from Chris Steele's own numbers, there are 107 domestic abusers in prison today that will be let out early if 805 passes. That's 107 victims who are going to have promises that were made to them about how long their, their, their their uh, uh, offender would be in prison, are going to have those promises broken. Um, So if you're talking about lawnmowers, that's one thing, but this is constitutional. Uh, Change it. Come back with something better. This is too risky. Women and children should not be collateral damage on a state question like this uh, because you think, oh, there's a bogus check issue or something else. Do something the right way. Look at this comprehensively bring everybody to the table where everybody was until the state question came out and do something the right way.
1: So Pat, I have a question with the example that you brought up, because even if someone is released early and then their sentence, you know, with sentence enhancements is another five years Uh, without with the current status quo, like, I guess, what happens when that person is released regardless? Either way, whether it's a few years sooner or um, it's a few years away, um, we still have, I guess, the third highest domestic violence rate. So I guess what changes even if the state question doesn't pass because it doesn't seem like people who need the help are getting it, whether they are released early or five years later, I guess so.
5: So I, I guess I, with that
1: example, I, I what, agree. what's the alternative to get people help?
5: <laughs> well, no, we need to better invest in our mental health services. We need to do a better job in, in making sure we're delivering education, uh, improving our economy, all these other factors that lead to this criminal activity and, and are, are correlated to it. We've got to do a better job there. I will tell you, when it comes to the individuals, the longer the abuser stays in prison, The more time, not only do they have an opportunity to go through the programming, but the person who has been abused has a longer period of time to get their life in order, their life in the right direction, so they're less inclined to get back with that abuser later. Uh, And we do have great things like Palomar, the YWCA, uh, uh, victims groups that, that we need to expand and grow to help people during that time get their life going in the right direction, but they need that extra time away from that abuser. Uh, and this takes that away. Uh, I mean, the retroactive nature of this is one of the things that concerns me the most because we've built this system where the legislature hasn't uh, extended, uh, always extended like penalties for repeat offenders because they know they've had this enhancement issue here instead. Uh, and so, again, to break these promises that are made to these victims is, is just unconscionable to me.
0: Well, as on cue, my neighbor just stopped using this leaf blower. So uh, thanks to Scott and Bailey for carrying the conversation today, Pat. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to chat more. Um, Thank you for being here today though. I appreciate uh, you making the time and and helping talk through this. Um, The website for the No campaign, is it no 805 .org. .org, okay. We will um, share that as well. Share both sides um, of the issue so folks can read more if they are interested. Um, but otherwise, have a good weekend and thanks for being here. You as well. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank hey, thanks, have. Pat. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, that was a robust conversation. I think with both camps. I'll say question that um, I expect the vote on this to be fairly close. Um, yeah, I, I agree. agree. I mean, even people that we know, right, that have. Um, that are like-minded on a lot of things are divided on this from what I've seen on social media,
2: which is all we get anymore since we don't get to see anybody in person. I mean, um, one of the, one of the hats that Pat wears is a pollster, And so I, I wouldn't, I mean, I would bet that he's done some polling on this and those are numbers that I would love to see. I wasn't going to ask him to share, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, those are, those are numbers I'd be really curious about. So I agree. Andy, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tight.
1: So for our listeners, definitely go back and listen to this episode when you have time um, and then check out the pages on the yes on 805 and the no on 805 campaigns so that you can make an informed decision um, based on the information.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, and you now officially have one hour left to register to vote. So if you are watching this and it's not yet five o'clock on uh, Friday, then and you're not registered by some odd chance. Go do that first, then send us an email with your apologies and explain yourself. That's what I want <laughs> to happen.
1: I mean, you have not just the presidential election, you have these two state questions that are on the ballot. You may have some local propositions to vote on or uh, some city council races, like if you're in the Tulsa area. And so um, there's a number of things that are gonna be on your ballot, including county races. And so yeah. it's important that you turn out.
0: That's exactly right. Um, and I, I want to mention because we haven't really talked about it and i don't think we're going to do an episode about it but for listeners who have asked questions about uh, the judges that are on the ballot and i'm sure you guys have gotten lots of questions as well uh, i had a conversation earlier today with um some of the board members from freedom of information oklahoma of which i'm also the director and we talked about it over there too and the fact of the matter is these are all retention elections. So um, for judges, according to Joey Sinnett, who's a um, professor at Oklahoma State University and is super knowledgeable about um, open records and many th- related issues, Oklahoma, to his knowledge, has never not retained a judge who was on the ballot. They've always been on there. And I feel like everyone I know is like, well, I, I guess I'll just vote yes, and then there's always some people who are like, vote everybody out, no on everything.
2: Um, so, you know, the, the
0: no, I get to go ahead, Scott.
2: No, as you said, I've talked to lawyers about this and the answer I've consistently got with lawyers is if it is a race between two people to fill a judicial seat, then their recommendation is typically not to vote in that unless you like have a specific reason you're voting for person X, person Y, maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you have talked to lawyers who practice in front of one or both of those people like kind of because because Those races have like such huge impacts on individual people's lives. I think a lot of most of the lawyers I know wish that we like didn't elect judges at all; that they were just appointed. Um, In terms of what's on the ballot this year, it's all retention of Supreme Court judges or uh, Appeals Court judges. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you'll recall, we have an episode on this, something like I don't know, eighty episodes or something ago. But like these are all people that have been put forward by the Judicial Nominating Committee. They put forward three people for each spot, and then the governor selects one. So they are appointed, but they're all people who've been vetted, who are qualified, and in this year they're all people that are on i've already been in those seats so my gestalt is usually like unless there's been some kind of vote however you want to but unless there's been some kind of like scandal or like you know something some some reason for suspicion um my my general practice is typically to vote to retain judges unless unless i have a specific reason not to
1: and many of those judges um as you said, have been there for a long time and they stay under the radar for a lot of the decisions that are made. So there's rarely a judge who has made a controversial decision or a vote to where, um, the people know that judge's name, you know, as a household name. And so, um, sometimes it takes folks really being engaged in the legal system to know, um, who sits on your, Supreme Court and who sits on your appellate court. And so it gives you an opportunity to to get to know those names. And I believe the Oklahoma Bar Association has a really great resource on their website that gives you information about those court judges and justices and some of the decisions that they've been engaged in. But the most important thing to remember too is that if someone is not retained then that means that the sitting governor gets to appoint who's going to fill that position. And so that Fact. would mean that governor Stitt would then uh, recommend and appoint someone to to fill that position. Someone should someone not be retained.
2: And so just think about
0: that. Well and one of the one of the Supreme Court justices that's on the ballot is someone that Stitt appointed, right? So like wouldn't that be I wonder if he could reappoint the same person. That's an interesting idea. We've uh, never
1: had it happen before, so no, we haven't, easy.
0: right? Yeah. And, and this is a weird election where I actually have um, a a personal investment with the state supreme court for the first time ever, right? Because I had two cases that were heard before the the court this year, um, and so some of these names were not unfamiliar to me, at least for those those uh, those three supreme court justices. The appellate level, I have no idea. Um, I asked several attorneys I know, um, and ask if people that I knew would be willing to share their perspective or their experience if they had it with any of those justices. But I get that not everybody has friends that are attorneys, or they do have friends of attorneys that haven't been in the courtroom with those justices and may not have any perspective. And so, it really is a bit of a black hole. So,
1: but uh, check that Oklahoma Bar Association yeah, site; i so will um, give you good info.
0: I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you, Scott, for being here. Scott waves.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
0: Bailey, thank you for being here as well. Thank you, Andy. And again, thanks to both of you guys for helping to uh, carry the conversation today while my neighbor was using this leaf blower on the roof. I should ask him if he would just not use the leaf blower between the hours of three and 4 p.m. on Fridays. It's that too much to ask. He literally uses it two or three days a week as it is. So anyway uh, listeners thank you for being here viewers thanks for being here be sure to like and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube uh, or on Facebook you can go to our YouTube channel please subscribe over there um, we'm gonna start putting out more video content over there because we're all trapped at home watching stuff online anyway might as well make some good videos about it uh, we have some stuff on there about voting from home uh, that is useful and hopefully we'll do a new how to enter the capital video before too long. If you're listening on a podcast, please rate the podcast. Just takes five seconds to click five stars, right? That's that's all you gotta do. You can write a nice note. We'd love to see that. Um, And also tell your friends. So if you've got friends or family that are, you know, have not even looked at their ballot yet, and they're gonna start paying attention in the next couple of weeks, please point them to our website and um, to our videos or our podcast. I'm going to put up a little state question guide um, probably by Monday as well. It's a little PDF that uh, you can share as well. Our podcast is created, produced by Scott Bailey and me. And we are a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network based right here in Oklahoma City. I'm just going to stop talking. That's the end of the story. Uh, the theme music is a song called Rhino Funk by an artist named So Down good stuff there all right have a great weekend everyone be safe and we'll see you next week